the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now think about it. Whether it's one race against another race or one authority against a non-authority, so to speak, when you have prejudice in there, it often then finally deteriorates, degenerates into mischief, hurt, violence, pain, and, and of course, death. So what would be a, a biblical understanding of this? I'll just give you one verse to kind of lay the, the, uh, the landscape, and then we'll cover some more. A biblical understanding from Scripture is simply this, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 19, verse 7. It goes like this. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. Why? For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality, which is prejudice, or the taking of a bride. And we already know about taking of a bride. But he says no part in unrighteousness or prejudice. So when I think of unrighteousness, you can think of unholiness and all that deals with the whole concept of unrighteousness. Right next to it is the word prejudice, which is now saying that the two are so close together in that which God hates, that we need to be extremely careful of that issue of prejudiceness. Now what I'd like to do is to kind of appeal to you, because there's a wide audience that's listening to my voice today, and I'm not going to pigeonhole you into any particular camp. What I'd like to do is to give you perhaps six different camps of response towards someone of the opposite race, all right? We know we're all of the humans, but using the secular idea of you're of this race and that race and this race, etc. So with that, I'd like to give you six. When I give you these six, I'd like you to do your own personal private inventory of where you think you might be on this list. And I'm going to do it like a spectrum, like a color spectrum. We're going to start with the very worst to where perhaps the very best and where we ought to be. And you decide where you are, as I have to decide where I am. And at any given moment, perhaps after any or during any event that's occurring regarding races, I might pop from one to the other. And yet at the same time, I know where I need to stay, or land, I should say, and then stay. So let me give them to you now and see where, um, where you might be with those, all right? There's six of them. Let me start with the worst, get that behind us. We're going to call that person a racist, all right? A racist. Now, what would make a racist? And I'll give you my explanation. I don't know so much about a definition, but what works for me to understand these six terms, this is what works. A racist. This would be someone who hates, bullies, or discriminates against someone of the other race. They absolutely hate that person. They'll bully that person. They'll discriminate against that person. In other words, there's some form of action that brings ongoing pain to that person of the other ethnic group. A racist. 
Some of you probably know someone who's a racist or someone perhaps who, um, or you've read about racists and you certainly know the result of racism. The second term is not as bad. So you might say, I'm not a racist. Well, maybe the second term up from that would be a bigot. What's different between a bigot and a racist? A bigot is someone who believes in stereotypes. A bigot is someone often who um, will belittle someone, maybe not so much to their face, that would be more in the camp maybe of a racist, but a bigot is someone who will talk about their negative belief system, their prejudices, with other people that will agree with them. So they're a bigot to them, but they're a bigot about someone else. This would be the person who wouldn't mind listening to and telling ethnic jokes at the expense of another person's ethnicity or race. That's a bigot. Here's the third one. You say, I'm not a bigot. I don't do that. I wouldn't put up with that, all right? You might be a person who's an avoider. That's the third one, an avoider. This is someone at times that I sometimes wrestle with and I have to overcome. And that is that I feel sometimes uncomfortable about people of other races, some more than others. Some, I have to be around them a long time, and then I really understand them, and my preconceived, my prejudged, my stereotypes kind of evaporate, and I really begin to really love those people. So a person who avoids them will be one, as you go on an elevator with someone who's of a different race, you automatically think there could be trouble in this here elevator, and you wish you couldn't get on it, and you try to get out of it, so you want to avoid being around them. You avoid them. Well, maybe you're not that level yet. So you become the fourth person, and this would be the insensitive person. This would be the person who is uh, insensitive to what hurts the other person. In other words, um, you don't really avoid them, but um, you you don't really know how much they're really hurting. Now think about what I've just said. You don't feel their pain for a moment. And so since you don't feel their pain, you don't think about their pain, and so you kind of are insensitive to them. I like thinking in terms of, um, um, if I stepped on your toe, what would you do? You'd yell. You're sensitive to the pain of me stepping on your toe. And then you yell and I say, what are you yelling about? All I did was step on your toe, get over it. How would that work? How would it work in your marriage if you, you're there and your wife says to you, um, hey, what you said really hurt me. And then you responded, you shouldn't feel that way. I would say that's the beginning of World War III. (laughs) And so we call that insensitivity. The fifth one is very similar, so I'll go quickly with this one. It's called apathy or apathetic. You don't care that they hurt. It's a little different than uh, simply you're insensitive to them. Insensitive says that you kind of know they hurt, but the one who's apathetic says, I don't really care that you even hurt. So the sixth one is sensitivity. And that one is that, uh, you know, I feel your pain. I'm so sorry you're that way. It's like me beginning my sermon by taking some responsibility, but also apologizing for all the people who hurt you. I'm sensitive to your pain. I want to include you. But at the same time, that's still not enough. And I wanted to go to number seven, because this is the one that's the biggest leap of all. But I believe this is the leap that God wants us to take, and that's this. We don't just want to be sensitive to other people's pain. We want to be a reconciler between the races, between people. It'd be like a marriage. You want to reconcile people together. Broken relationships, you want to reconcile them together. So now, how would I define that? Very simple. 
three words. You want to be, number one, an active bridge builder. And so where does that all begin? Well, to me, I think the best place to begin, because God made you, God made them, and God sovereignly brought you and that other person or people together, is to simply say, Lord, I know I'm to be an active bridge builder. What, how, when, who, because I already know why, let me be a part of a bridge building experience. Now, I know that is a leap for a lot of folks. And sometimes with me, it can be a leap. But I also know it's a leap where God says, I'll do it for you. I'll do it with you. I'll do it in you. And I'll do it through you. So let me answer the question, why does God really hate racial prejudice? Why does he really hate it? I want to give you some reasons because we know he does, but maybe by me opening up why he hates this, it might help you gain a greater understanding why you and I should not only love whom the Lord loves, but we also should hate what God hates. Not who God hates, but what God hates. And so let me give you some of the reasons why God hates racial prejudice. Let me give you number one. One is prejudice challenges God's creation. Actually, it's challenging a sovereign God who is the creator, if I want to go that far. But basically, it challenges God's creation. Because every human being, whatever they were made, black, white, red, yellow, brown, God made them that way. They had no choice. They couldn't say, I want to be this in their background. God chose to do that. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make one race better than the next race. God says, I made you this way. So what you do is you celebrate the way God made you and what God made you. And so don't try to change your color, change your ethnicity. Celebrate it, but celebrate more than that. The God who made you, what he made you. Let me read you some scripture. I'm going to read the same passage, but out of three different translations. Listen very carefully because they're so powerful. It goes like this. The first one is coming out of the New International Version. It's found in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. So whatever version you have on your, your lap there, whether it's your Bible or it's your uh, smartphone or you've got a tablet, let's look in Acts 17, 26. It says, from one man, that's Adam. Then it said, God made... And if you can, mark it, circle it, highlight it. God did this. God's the creator. God is sovereign. God is good. God is love. God did this for a greater good, which is to bring glory to himself. So God made what? Well, the answer is really a who. Every nation, every race, every ethnicity of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And then it says, and he determined the time set for them. So there's a determinating factor there that God said, I made them and I determine what I want from them and for them. And so the moment I begin in my ethnicity and I begin to criticize someone else's ethnicity, then what I'm really doing is I am criticizing a sovereign God who made that person, that person, who that person had no choice in all of that. And that God says, when I made him that, I gave him for a particular purpose. There's a determination in his life. So really what I have is not a problem with the other race. I have a problem with God. Let me read the same verse again to you. Different translation, New American. It says, and he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. And frankly, I like the King James Version as it says it this way. And he, God, hath made of one blood, that's why I like it, all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, 
and then determine the times before appointed and the bounds of their creation. It challenges God as creator, as having the right to be the ruler and the one in control of his own creation, of his own humanity. He could have made us all the same, but he really didn't. Every time I think less of one of God's creation, I really forget who made me. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, for who regards you as superior? In other words, who regards you as superior? Why should I regard myself as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? Now think about it for a moment. If we have a moment to be truly as, as honest as possible, I mean brutally honest, lay aside our prejudices, I think we might be able to accept the fact that in some cases and at some times, another group of people are being marginalized. Are you ready for this? American white males. Okay? Now, I'm not going to say that's the better group, but I want you to say that we have no right to say we, white, male, American, is better than any other group nor should any other group say they are better than a white male American. This is why I may not be asked to preach again. So let me go to the second one, why God abhors racial prejudice. Because prejudice exposes our ignorance. Because racial prejudice exposes our ignorance. Every time I make a racial or negative racial or prejudicial statement then it is really, truly, in a negative way, revealing how really stupid I am. If you will, look at 1 John 2.11, and here's what it says. But the one who hates his brother... Now, in context, that would be other believers. But I don't believe it's so far out of context to say other humans. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. And he walks in the darkness. And he doesn't know where he is going... Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, let's say it a different way. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just shooting my mouth off because I'm so ignorant in my darkness and that is only perpetuating racial conflict because of my racial prejudiceness. As I travel at my age, and I'm in many different hotels and motels and sometimes even people's homes, when it gets to be nighttime, It gets very dark in this motel room. And occasionally I have to use the restroom in the middle of the night. I have learned after the first or second time stubbing my toes, banging my shins, trying to find out where it is in the darkness of that hotel to bring a little flashlight with me. I was so glad I had a flashlight when I was in Mongolia. Thrilled to have a flashlight when I was in another brother's house. And I was so disappointed when my battery failed. (laughs) Walking in darkness, in a simple little thing like going to the restroom in the middle of the night, that really only affects one person pretty much. But when we have this ignorance, then what happens is it affects a lot of people. And we're living in a world that is affected by this darkness and this ignorance that is going on. So I need to let you know that ignorance is very difficult. Let me give you a phrase that I, um, that I have learned as a leader. Those of you that are in leader, remember, leadership probably remember this phrase. 
I'm finding that the people that I'm trying to move from this place to the next place, I don't mean from this building to the next building, but from this area of understanding to the next area of understanding, or we need to do something, I know that what my people are not up on, they're going to be down on. Did you catch that little cliche? What they're not up on, that means what they're not informed about, then they'll create their own little assumptions and usually their own judgments. It ends with their own conclusions, their own decisions, and then it just kind of falls completely apart because they're not up on it. So once I help them to be up on what's going on and why and who and when and all of this, even if we say, I don't know yet, I know this is a problem, we're still working on it, but this is how far we've come, what they're up on then they will not be down on. And a lot of times we're not up on other ethnic groups because we have stereotyped them. We've allowed our years of prejudicial input from others to affect us. And maybe the one oddball weirdo of another ethnic group who did something stupid to us. And now we just blanket everybody with that. I hate it as a Christian. I really do. I hate it when there's a weird Christian, supposedly, and does something in the name of Christianity that is so unchristian, unbiblical, non-Christ-like, and yet I get painted with the same stroke he gets painted with. Does that ever happen to you? Say, uh-huh. We hate that. And yet I could find myself doing that as well in my ignorance about other people. But let me give you the flip side of that. The other is wisdom. And if you have your Bible, you may want to turn to this verse. It's found in James chapter 3, verse 17. And it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. That's great wisdom. It's pure, like a pure drink of water. Then it says, the very next out of purity comes, you know, like I said, the pure stream, the pure source of the stream is it becomes peaceable. I like that. Then it's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy. It has good fruits. Watch this, same verse. It is without partiality. It is without prejudice and hypocrisy. Now, let me help you understand this truth, okay? Look up here for just a moment. I'm not talking about knowledge. There's a lot of stuff going on. We've got to know what they're going to. No, 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 no. Knowledge is what you put on a test. Wisdom is what you do with your life with the knowledge that you have. Did you catch that? There are a lot of great professors, but they're fools. So to have knowledge of this is not enough. Now, I, I don't want to put down knowledge. You've got to have the knowledge as long as it's accurate, full knowledge, done without bias. But having the knowledge isn't enough. That's what you could pass a test with. Having wisdom is now knowing the truths that you're hearing today and now letting those truths change your life by extending grace to every race because the grace that was extended to you and your race. And so again, that's real wisdom there. And I love when I look at that wisdom and experience it from God and from others, but I pray that I could do the same thing with others. When I'm ignorant, I put people down. When I'm wise, I build people up. Uh, that's wisdom. Let me give you another thought here of what God hates. We know that He hates uh, prejudice, but He also does it because... It challenges his creation, that he's the creator. It exposes our ignorance. But this is a big one. It violates the great commandment. The great commandment. The great commandment goes like this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost as if Jesus is there and he has these Pharisees that are kind of trying to trip him up on all of this. And he says, well, tell us, what, what is all of this? What, what, what's the biggest thing that we should be doing with all of this stuff? And by the way, the, the, the Pharisees were so prejudicial against everybody else. They thought they were the greatest. They were like the chosen race kind of thing. And so they're looking at Jesus. And Jesus basically looks at them and he holds up a Bible, so to speak. And he says, you want to know what this whole Bible is about? I'll reduce it to just two things. Love God, love others. It's so powerful that he said it Old Testament through Judaic ethic, and then he says it in the New Testament, so you have the Christian ethic, so to speak. So the whole Judaic ethic is to love God and to love others. And he kept saying that over and over again, and he said it to the Pharisees. Then I thought what was really kind of cute with God, if I can use that term, and that is that um, if you recall, there was a story told in Scripture, it's very familiar, you know it already, about this guy who was beat up and left all bloodied mass, and one guy walks on one side of the street, doesn't do much, another on the other side doesn't do much. And all of a sudden, the Samaritan, who was one of the most hated ethnic groups, disliked, marginalized, had to live in their own little place, always put down, they're a brunt of every joke, people with bigotry, racism, everything about the Samaritans. God then chooses in his sovereignty to raise up the least in the minds of the people of an ethnic group, the Samaritan, to use that Samaritan as a good example, a great example of what it really means to love your neighbor. Now tell me, isn't that cute? Isn't that great? That's what you do. You love your neighbor. And so as I look at that, I need to do that even more. But it doesn't just say it there. Galatians 5.14 says it even more powerfully. And it says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now here it goes on to say, Galatians 5.15 says, but see if this doesn't sound like what you hear on the news at night. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. We're biting one another, and now we're shooting one another. Now we're killing one another, and now we're going to see whole groups do that. And it's quite possible that in our lifetime, yay, during this next year, it could get so bad that martial law is established. Now, on the way home and you have your own private time, think of what it would be like under martial law. And I've got to stop because if you go this far, I mean, it could get really crazy for you. That's what this is in our life today, the living out of what Scripture has to say. Who says this book is an old, dusty book? It's right for us today. So God says that our prejudice violates the great commandment. The fourth thing is prejudice is a severe sin. I don't like to put certain sins in this is worse, this is less, but I also want you to know that prejudice... prejudice is more serious than what we think it is. So it's a more severe sin for us than what we think that it is. And let me give this to you in James chapter 2, verse 9, emphasizing the word you. But if you show partiality, it means you favor one above another, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So let's put it another way. I am not saying that we have to condone sinful actions by one ethnic group against another ethnic group. I'm not saying that. I'm not condoning the murder of police officers as a payback for being victimized by said group. I'm not not condoning that. 
God doesn't condone that. God doesn't even approve that. But what we are saying, though, is in the midst of all of that, while we are using that as our flag and banner to now do great damage to other ethnic groups, we are prejudging a lot of that that's going out there. And on that prejudgment, we then pronounce sentence. And we are just as guilty as if we've done this. If you hate, you kill. Okay, let's move on. I need to move a little bit faster now, and I want to really end with this, and that is, how does the church respond to racism? So it's not here for, for you to feel guilty. Oh, I'm, I'm bad here, and I didn't do that. I didn't, oh, man, I'm just a, I, I am a, nearly a bigot here. Uh, I'm not here to leave you that way, not at all. I want to now kind of say that we've turned the corner. We are saying as a church, as a person, as a Christian, let's say it that way, that we want to go to another level. What, what do I do? What do I do with all of this stuff? Well, I'm going to make it as simple as possible. I'm going to give you the, the, the principle, the verse, and one little tiny thing to start you in the right direction. So maybe with some of this, you can then take your family through it. I, I gave you the behind story. I also gave you some of the principles now, why God hates all this prejudice. But now I want to say, what do we do as a church? What, what can I do to root out some of this racism, bigotry, indifference, avoidance, all of this in me, so that I can become a bridge builder? Let me give you just three, just three, just own these three. They'll be easy to remember. Number one is this. We should, look, we should look at everyone through the eyes of God. Look at everyone through the eyes of God. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 